0: He has shown me strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in their thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, um, thank you for bringing us here today um, to worship you, God. And I pray um, that as Easter is approaching soon, that we will all um, remember that um, that day that um, you had uh, your son die on the cross for our sins. And God, um, thank you so much for the grace that you provide to us. God, I pray um, that um, we listen to what you have for us to hear today. In Jesus' name, Amen.
1: Amen. Good morning. Welcome to Aletheia Church. Uh, my name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here. If I haven't. If you don't know who I am, appreciate you guys being here uh, this morning. Um, we're we're taking a break this morning from our our series in the Book of Galatians. We've been studying the Book of Galatians verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and uh, we, have, we have two chapters left to, to go, and we'll be done sometime in, in late May. Um, but we're taking a break uh, this Sunday, next Sunday, and Easter Sunday to, to kind of pause for a minute and, and, and take a look at... And this is going to be a little different for me, but what we're going to be doing is we're going to be uh, kind of looking at different um, people in the gospel narratives and kind of try to understand their story and who they are in, in the midst of the gospel narrative. But then what we're going to hopefully more importantly do... Um, is, is really try to unpack how they would have experienced the crucifixion and the resurrection. Um, try to kind of unpack what it would have meant for them, how it would have affected them, uh, what, what was really being done for them. Because here's, here's the reality, guys. Um, and, and hopefully we'll all glean something as we're, as we're kind of processing through these stories over the next couple weeks. But, but every single one of these men or women with, within the scriptures you know, have testimonies. And their particular testimonies are going to, in some way, shape, or form, not only um, dictate to us and show to us right, kind of their journey and what's going on, but it's also going to show us how God's word is impacting them and what the message and ministry of Jesus Christ did for them. And so we're, we're going to hopefully kind of take a look and see how god would rescue them and 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 kind of what kind of idols and things he would have torn down in the midst of what was going on and and i'm going to kind of like give a disclaimer here some of this is going to be speculative in a small sense but we can still glean from it and try to kind of process through it and and today's focus is going to be on mary the mother of jesus and um, there's a lot to wade through in 2017 when you're when you're thinking through Mary and who she is and, and what she's done because I kind of feel like when you when you talk about you know the Virgin Mary you, you either have two kind of pictures conjured up in your mind. There's the the picture that's outside of the church that would say you know she's you know someone in the midst of the historical narrative of who this guy Jesus was. And then, you know, they might go on to say that, you know, you don't want to pay too much attention to her role in the gospel narrative, that, that you don't want to believe everything that is really said of her. Um, and, and, you know, like oftentimes, especially in scholarly and academic work, they'll, you know, they'll, there's these quests to find the real Jesus or who who was the real Mary or the real Joseph. And what they'll do is try to postulate and form opinions and ideas and theories of, of who Mary actually was, because maybe the biblical count in their eyes and in their mind, is not necessarily uh, something to believed or, or to be trusted. And so the other side, and, and this is mainly, especially like if you grew up in here from a, from a more traditional Catholic background right is the idea instead of kind of ignoring mary or not thinking of her much to the point where in in catholic theology mary is given a very prominent place almost to the point of of being on par with christ and that like some catholics would even teach that that mary herself Part took in the suffering of Christ and partook in the uh, sinlessness that Mary herself was sinless. And so there's this other picture, especially I remember when we were in Columbia last March, and there's a lot of the, the hangover from, the, from the, the, the Catholic Church in that area. You just see Mary statues everywhere. You know, like the, the artwork would have pictures of Mary. Uh, there's Mary statues all over the place. And you go into these little shops and, and buy uh, Mary. And, and, you know, like talking to some Catholics down there, they would actually pray to Mary herself. And so really you have these two kind of pendulum swings where one side is saying Mary's unimportant in the, in the grand scheme of things and the other side that, uh, is attempting to deify Mary in some way and make her out to be the, the chief person in the story. And someone that we can pray to who is omniscient and omnipresent, who can answer and hear our prayers. And here's, here's the issue. Neither one of those are sufficient ways in understanding who Mary was biblically and the role she played leading up to Easter Sunday and the resurrection of Christ. And so what we're going to try to do this morning is we're going to try to maybe unpack who she was a little bit and understand what was going on and maybe try to learn from her life and example. But here's the most important thing that I kind of want to kind of put on the table before we even start unpacking that passage in Luke that we looked at this morning. Okay, there is such a tendency for us to look at different biblical characters and want to emulate them and in some way make them the hero of the story. And I'm I'm here to tell you this morning that the purpose of this sermon and looking at Mary is not so that we might talk about how great Mary is and how wonderful she is and how excited we should be about her and we should emulate her, but instead to be encouraged by her to worship the God that she worshipped. Because what we're going to see in Mary's life is not some amazing performance of her own life, but you're going to see a hopeful abiding, trust in God, who He is and what He's doing. And that's going to cause her to worship and subsequently, hopefully, right, encourage those around her to worship. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll we'll look at the text. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you uh, just so much for this opportunity and this time this morning. Lord, uh, God, I just... I'm so thankful for your word. I'm so thankful that we have the opportunity to open it up and know what happened when your son walked the earth. And I pray as we study um, the life of Mary this morning and just take take a peek into what she did and and how she responded to her role in, in the salvation story of the world that we would not focus solely on her, but we would turn our gaze to you the author and perfecter of salvation. Jesus, I pray that we would make much of you in this time, and I ask this all in your name. Amen. All right, so let's start with like a, a quick recap of Mary's life up until this point from what Myra read to you guys from, from our actual passage um, this morning. But some of you guys may or may not know, if you go back to the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 7, Mary is actually prophesied about all the way back in the book of Isaiah. You know, when Isaiah is talking about the the future Messiah and what God's going to do, he actually prophesies about uh, Mary. Look at what he says in, in chapter 7 verse 14. He says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, that word Emmanuel means God with us. And so the the prophecy of Isaiah there is, hey, some couple hundred years before Mary was even born, there was a prediction that when the Messiah came, this promised one that God was going to send to save Israel, that we would know who that Messiah was going to be by this sign. That the Lord himself was going to cause a virgin to conceive and bear a child whose name would be Emmanuel. That that is kind of what we're looking for. And so when you get back then to Luke chapter 1, you see that Mary is introduced by Luke in the the narrative. She's there and all of a sudden she's, I I don't know if she was standing in her room. I don't know if she was pouring water from the well. But she's standing there and all of a sudden... The angel Gabriel shows up, you know, so if you guys can imagine you're in a room by yourself and then an angel just shows up, How, you're going to kind of be like, okay, what's going on here, right? You're going to kind of be freaking out maybe for a second. And so the, the angel Gabriel shows up to Mary while she's betrothed to Joseph, and I'll talk about that a little bit more in a second, but look at what happens starting in verse 30. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. having gone through, you know, the the weekly trips to synagogue and and sitting underneath the teaching of a rabbi and whatever else, would have known what the promises of the Messiah would have looked like for Israel. She would have known. So when Gabriel shows up and starts saying things like, yeah, you're going to have a son and his kingdom will have no end and he's going to have the throne of his father David, Mary would have immediately known, okay, For some reason, I have been chosen to be the mother of the long-awaited Messiah. She would have known that immediately. Now, problem, right? Mary is currently engaged to this guy named Joseph. And the way that engagements worked in this time period is you went through this process called betrothal. And the betrothal period would last somewhere around nine months to a year. Anybody want to have a guess as to why they lasted that long? Yeah, if you, it was so that if you proposed to somebody, right, and were engaged to be married, and then, ta-da, you know, six months later a kid comes out, you could say, whoa, 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 she was cheating on me or whatever else. I, I'm not going to kind of solidify this marriage covenant until we know for sure that she has not been sleeping around on me in some way. It was totally geared towards the men, 100%, but that's kind of like the way the process worked, okay? And and what would happen is when you became betrothed to somebody, there was often a dowry involved and families would exchange money or whatever else, but ultimately you were legally married. You just hadn't officially consummated the marriage yet until about 9 to 12 months later. Okay, And so Mary is in this period, currently betrothed to Joseph, waiting for the, the, the nine or so plus months to pass so that she can then marry Joseph, have a family, and ha- have you know, babies, and be a mom and a grandma, and you know, you know, raise good little Jewish children. That's kind of what she's excited to do. And then Gabriel shows up and is like, hey, you're going to have a baby. And of course Mary's like, you do realize I'm betrothed, and that's literally impossible for me right now. Like, it, it, it cannot happen. And, you know, Gabriel responds, no, no, you will bear a son. His name will be Jesus. He'll be great. He'll be the son of the most high God. The Messiah's coming. And, and you're going to carry him. Okay? And so Mary responds with, obviously, how, how is this possible? Okay? I, you know, I don't know if she took you know, sex education class or whatever it was, kind of figure out what was going on. But she, she does all this, right? And what ends up happening is, this is what Gabriel says to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be with child. God's, God's gonna do it. God's gonna make it happen. Now, put yourself in that situation for a second. Dudes, I know that's gonna be a little bit harder for you, but just bear with me here for a minute. Okay, you're engaged to be married. You're being told that you're now pregnant. You are being told that you're carrying this long-awaited promised king for the nation that you live in. And it's not going to be your future husband's child. And culturally... There was going to be a lot of stigma surrounding what was going on around this whole situation. And look what Mary says to Gabriel in verse 38. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Anybody else think that that's like, like Whoa. You know, like, a lot of us can't even get up on time to get to church on Sunday morning. Oh, man, I was up too late watching Netflix or whatever it is. You know, and yet here you have this engaged, probably roughly 13 to 15-year-old girl being told, hey, your entire world's being turned upside down. Get ready. And she responds, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word." Now, Mary is in a precarious position because she's as good as married legally, okay. And because she's as good as married, if she has a child, it is going to be assumed of her that she committed adultery against Joseph. Okay. So let me show, let me show you what Mary faced culturally. Uh, go to Leviticus chapter twenty, verse ten for me, and throw that up there real quick. Um, this was the rule on whether if you were caught in adultery, this is what happened to you. If a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. So, culturally speaking, because Mary was pregnant, this is what she faced. This is what, this is what she was staring down as she's talking to Gabriel, it's this idea that she's going to be killed. And so she faces, at best, divorce, which is what Joseph seeks to do quietly, and at worst, death. And yet her response in the middle of all this is, I am your servant, let it be according to your word. Now, here's, here's where I want to start drawing some parallels to Mary's story and you or me. Okay. Most of us, none of us in this room are going to find ourselves in this situation. Let's start there, okay? No, no one in this room is going to be like, I got pregnant and don't know how. Right? Well, I know how, okay? Right? Like we don't, And we're not going to get into the specifics of that, right? But we know that. None, none of us are going to find ourselves in this particular situation. It was a one-time thing, right, that God had promised was going to happen all the way back in, in Isaiah chapter 7. But... The situation that Mary is facing is full of unknowns, fear, and worry. She doesn't know what Joseph's going to say. She doesn't know what her family's going to say. She doesn't know what's going to happen to this child. She doesn't even know if she's going to live. She's currently sitting in the midst of a bunch of unknowns. And instead of worrying and walking in fear, what does she do? She worships. I think that all of us in this room have things that we worry about. You know, whether it's school, job, family, home, health. There's things like, I mean, I, I know a lot of you in this room, I, you guys bring things to me, you, you know, I'm, I'm worried about how I'm going to pay my next bills, I'm worried about what, you know, this next doctor's appointment is going to say, and like, I would say 95% of prayer requests that I get, and I enjoy them, and I love being able to pray for you guys, are centered around something that's causing some level of stress or discomfort in your life that you're worried over. And what ends up happening is you become paralyzed by that thing. And you just move from kind of one disaster or one thing to the next. And it would have been easy for Mary in this situation to sit back and say, you know, what do you mean? How can this be? This can't happen. Don't you know what will happen to me? Please pick someone else. I'm not interested. Not interested in Carrying Jesus, I'm not interested in being used by you. Everything that's going to be involved here is going to be too hard. It's going to be too difficult. That everything centered around this is going to make my life probably miserable in the midst of all this. And yet in obedience, Mary responds, I will do what God needs of me. And then her pass- the pastors that we're looking at today is actually a song that she sang when she was visiting her cousin Elizabeth and talking about being pregnant. Now, like, is this something, like, th- just think about someone who, who you know, most of us at least know one person in our life that had an unwanted pregnancy at some point. Most of the time, in my experience with those things, they're surrounded with fear worry, confusion, and crying. That's, that's been my experience with unwanted pregnancies with people. And yet, Mary's unwanted pregnancy is responded with obedience, and ultimately, in these verses that we're going to look at and unpack, worship. Worship because she trusts her God and what He's doing. Right? I, and, and here's the beautiful thing about what, what we see in this song that that Mary sings, when someone is in the midst of a trial, difficult situation, whatever word you want to use for what Mary's in right now, their response of worship to God makes him look amazing. Right? It's it's easy to talk about how great God is when the bills are paid, when your health is good, when school's going great, when you're getting the promotion at work, when your kids are doing well, when your kids are healthy, when your kids are behaving and doing what they're supposed to do. When life is moving the way that we've kind of dictated that it's supposed to look like, it's easy to want to give God credit and talk about how great he is. But when you are in the midst of a season like the one that Mary is in and singing about the glories and the praises of God and what he's done, that's when he looks his best. I have a, a pastor friend in this city, and he was sharing a story with me about two years ago. I remember we, you know, I get together with a lot of pastors in this area, and we pray for one another. And we were, we were at Coffee Culture over on 13th Street. And I was sitting down with him, and he came in, and he just kind of had that look on his face like, man, like, I'm just down in the dumps right now. And I was like, I was like, you know, hey, you know, how, how are you doing? What's going on? He goes, he's like, you know, he's like, you know, being a pastor, sometimes you just have days where you're like, what am I doing? I was like, that's me too, every day. <laughs> you know, every day of my life, I feel the same way as a parent and a husband too. You know, just sign me up for the Clueless Brigade. And I'm sitting there with him, I'm like, well, what's going on? He's like, well, you know, I just got back from Sh- Shans. I was just up at Shans visiting a family. And I was like, oh, man, what happened? You know, and I, my mind immediately runs to, you know, like, grandma's in the hospital or whatever else. He's like, yeah, this young family in our church just found out that their two-year-old son has um, leukemia. And he's up there getting treatments. And I'm like, oh, man, like, how are they doing? Like, you know, like, he's like, well, he's like, that's the crazy thing. I'm, like, super depressed and upset over the situation and i walked in to visit them and they're in their, the dad's got a guitar and they're playing worship music and the nurses are coming in with them and like singing along with them at times and like everyone's happy and they're praying and they're asking people to pray for them. And he's like there's so much hope in there he's like and i'm down in the dumps for them when they're not even down in the dumps He's like, and it's, it's been crazy. He's like in the midst of this story. He's, he's in his like 12th week of treatments now as he's up there. And like he's had two, his, his, his dad has led two of their family members to Christ through this process and has also apparently prayed with a nurse. And that all, the entire time they're up there, they're just talking about how great God is and they're trusting him throughout this entire scenario. And with, guys, that's the type of thing we're talking about here. The example of that family Right, in the midst of pain and hurt and trial and unknown, just like what Mary was going through, they chose to worship God, and the results were insane. And, and so as I'm sitting here looking at this, I'm thinking, okay, Mary's sitting here not knowing whether she's even going to live or not. That's what she faces. And she goes and visits her cousin Elizabeth, who's pregnant as well, with a guy that you may know ends up being Known as John the Baptist, and she goes and visits her cousin Elizabeth. And this is what comes of it. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed I I read that line I'm like are you kidding me you are best case scenario going to be divorced and unmarriable best case scenario and she's standing there talking to her cousin saying yeah like what God is doing in me like I'm going to be called blessed for generations to come because of what God is doing right now for he who is mighty has done great things for me again what (laughs) he's he's given you an unwanted pregnancy and your response is he's done great things for me forever she's sitting there and and quite possibly the worst possible culture to have this pop up in in is singing praises giving attention and glory to god as i was studying and preparing this past week i came across gavin children's commentary on luke and this is what he had to say about this particular song he says in mary's song This is an outpouring of praise from a humble heart. When we think of how many people have tried to make Mary almost a goddess, this song instead reveals that her focus is not on herself, but on the blessings granted to her by her God. Mary realizes there's nothing special about her, but simply that she is blessed because God has chosen her even in the midst of an unknown trial now let's break this down so that we can see God's faithfulness cuz cuz Mary says this right she says my soul magnifies the lord and that terminology says basically in the greek that she is going to enlarge and make great the name of god because she's pregnant She's like, because of this, I want to lift up the name of Yahweh. I want to lift him up to everyone so that God can see how great he is. And even in this season, she's going to praise and extol him and talk about the wonderful things that he is doing in the midst of all this. Have you guys ever been in a season where you are walking so closely with God... That even in the midst of your trials or someone else's, you can see his faithfulness at work. Like one of the things that's like been such a privilege for me as the pastor of this church over the last couple of years is I'll get to sit down over a meal or over coffee with someone and talk with them. And as I'm talking with them, I just get to hear what God's doing in their life. Like I, like I, I, I see them maybe if I'm lucky a couple hours a week. Right, They're involved in other ministries, they're working or, or whatever else. I get to see them for a couple hours, and I'll, I'll sit there and, and I'll talk with them, and they'll just start unloading to me all the things that they've been dealing with and then how the gospel has been changing their life. How, how what Jesus did on the cross and, and the salvation that he purchased for them is just completely changing them. I've seen God heal marriages. I've seen him heal families. I've seen him bring people out of addiction to drugs and alcohol. I've seen him completely change people's course and direction in life and where they're heading. And I just get to sit down with people and, I, and I'll talk with them and, I, and I'll know I'll have very little context and very little, you know, ability to say, I was involved in that, or, I know what's going on. And I'll sit there and I'll, I'll hear what God's doing. And I just get to sit back and, and stare in awe and wonder about what God is doing. And hearing other people's testimonies causes in me the ability to, to want to worship God. Because not only am I excited about what God's done in my own life, but I'm excited about what He's doing in yours. When you could come to me and say, you know, Kevin, I, I, I was a, a, addicted to alcohol. I was an alcoholic. And, you know, I, I, I've, been, I've been going to church for years or whatever, and, you know, just something, something in God's Word just got a hold of me. Just, like, gripped my soul. And, as I, and, I, and I was praying, and I just felt like the Lord said, You've been trying to do this on your own. I forgive you. I love you. Let's put this to death. And he's like, and, and my desires have changed. It's like, I wanted I wanted to quit drinking before. I even tried multiple times and I couldn't do it. Something's different this time. God's at work. Something's going on. And I'm just sitting there. I'm just excited. I'm like, let's just scream this. Right, does anybody have money? We can put this on TV. You know, blast it as a commercial during the Super Bowl or something. This would be awesome. Right, I'm just excited because this is what testimonies of lives changed by God do. They make much of Him. In the same way that Mary's life is to, in in the way that it's working out, is making much of God and what He's done. And then in Mary's testimony, she just begins to declare all the ways that by God, just being God has changed her life, right? Look at all these different things she says, right? The first one, she says that, that God is her Savior, which by the way, there's your proof that Mary is not divine, okay? If you have some like hangover from Catholic theology, I'm not trying to hate on the Catholic Church right now, but if you come from that background and you were kinda taught that Mary was someone to be worshiped the way Jesus is, no. (laughs) Right, Mary admits right here in this song, I needed a savior, God was my savior, he was my helper, he rescued me, right? Then she says that God is mighty, that he's powerful, that he can do anything. Right, that he's done great things. And he goes, she goes on to say that God is holy. Right, which in biblical language means that he's separate. Meaning he's different than the world. He's different than other gods. That there's, no, there's nothing and no one like him. She's like, everything I'm experiencing, there's nothing or no one like God. There's no one like him. She goes on to say that God is merciful. Right, that in the, in the midst of living in Roman-controlled Israel... The gods of the Romans were oppressive gods who must be appeased at all times. That you had to sacrifice to them and worship them properly to have them respond to you in some way. Even the God of the Bible is looked at in that way at times. And yet Mary takes a step back and says, In the midst of all this, God is mercy because the God of Israel is one that bestows salvation and forgiveness on his people and that is the god who i serve who has given me this child she says that that god is generous and that he brings down the mighty and raises up the lowly that he's just that he scatters the proud and knows the thoughts of our hearts and i love this last part god is faithful the last place mary goes in her song is seeing where her testimony fits in to the greater story of Scripture all the way back to God's promise to Abraham. Where God promised to Abraham all the way back in Genesis chapter 12, I will make a great nation of you and in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And Mary sits back in the midst of being pregnant out of wedlock She's saying, I am a part of this story. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. This is what she does. She's giving all the praise and the glory to God as she faces the toughest situation of her life. she praises him and i love the language that she uses because she uses language that shows our god is personal that he can be known and that you can have a relationship with him i remember you know a year or two after college a guy I knew in college was like was was wrestling with his faith, and he's like, you know, Christians talk about having a personal relationship with God, and I don't see any scriptural proof from that. There's nothing in the scripture where you can open it up and say, you must have a personal relationship with God. And I would say, if that's your... Soul marker for finding that you will not find that exact language in the scripture I will not be able to open up a Bible passage and say to you okay I want you to turn over here and we're gonna see the passage where God says you must have a personal relationship with me but Just because something is not prescriptive in the scriptures does not mean there's not descriptive language other places telling us what God is like and throughout the scriptures you see God interacting with His people, talking with them, saving them, doing things for them, sending His only Son to interact with them, and then subsequently save them. That He promises to send the Holy Spirit who will always be with you and walk with you. That the language used in the Scripture is that of a God who is personal and wants to know you, does know you, and wants to be known by you. And so God spoke to Abraham, as Mary says, and he's speaking to her now through Gabriel. And her response is, isn't he worthy to be worshipped? So here's, here's how I want to kind of finish up looking at Mary this morning as we're heading into Easter here in a couple weeks. Here Mary looks forward in Luke chapter 1 to the baby she's carrying in the midst of sure persecution. If you guys remember anything about the gospel accounts in Jesus' life, the Pharisees make multiple snide remarks about him being a fatherless child and make remarks about his mother. So this is something that she didn't just carry with her with those nine months to 10 months that she was pregnant with Jesus, but then for the rest of her life. And as she looks forward in the midst of persecution, she's excited not because of the baby, but because the baby that she's carrying is the promised one of Israel. Now this is where we need to pause for a second. Because even Mary, who we've been lifting up and talking about how great she is, and look at her in the midst of persecution. Instead of worrying, she's choosing to worship. And and most of us don't choose to do that. And yet Mary's example says that wor- like worship is the key ingredient in those situations. And yet, the things that Mary is saying in this song go directly along the same thing that all of Israel who looked forward to a Messiah were, were looking for. And that was a Messiah who would be a political ruler, who would be just, who would be a military conqueror, and would restore Israel to the dominance that they held under David and Solomon. That, that is what Israel longed and hoped for and looked for. And so then you have Mary, who gives birth later on to Jesus. Raises him. Watches him grow. De- deals with him as her son. And then, around age 27 or 30, he starts his public ministry and she starts following him around for that. Like, this is what she does. So imagine all that she's seen and all that she's looking for in this hopeful anticipation that she's doing ministry with her son, knowing the promise that Gabriel had given her. The thing she's longing for more than anything is that moment where Jesus is going to take the throne in Jerusalem and stand upon it. And in standing upon that throne, he's going to throw out Rome and start ruling Jerusalem the way that Israel wants it to be ruled. That is what she's longing for, even as she follows her own son. But fast forward to John chapter 19. This ends up being what she experiences. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. She's watching the execution of her own son. How do you think she probably felt? Now... I don't just mean, like, felt in the midst of losing your child, right? I was talking to Jackie this past week, and a lot of you guys in this room know that our, our son has epilepsy, and one of the things that, that Jackie and I have to process through constantly, right, is that the fear of the unknown with Josiah's health and what's going on. And, when, you know, when talking to Jackie, I, I, she kind of mentioned to me that the thing I fear the most is not so much the seizures or whatever else, but that something's going to happen in light of one of them and that and I'm going to lose him. And you know, I asked her, I was like, so do you fear him dying more than you fear losing your own life? She's like, yeah, absolutely. Like as a, as a mother, the fear of Josiah or Gideon dying is, is more than the fear that you and I might have for our own life. And so that's very much probably a real part of what Mary is experiencing here. But why don't you then compound that with the expectation you had of what Gabriel said to you all the way back in Luke chapter 1 and then you're sitting there at the foot of your cross at the foot of the cross watching your son die. Like this isn't how this was supposed to be. Like is God some sort of sick twisted individual? He ruined and wrecked my life with this child. I I didn't even know if I was going to be murdered or not for this. I've gone through my entire life in scorn and shame. I followed him around knowing that God had promised to me this son was going to restore Israel. He was going to be the promised Messiah. And now I'm sitting here watching them kill my son. I'm watching him die. And yet, here's what we know about this story. And this is the beauty of it. What Jesus was doing on the cross wasn't nullifying the promise that Gabriel gave her. It was fulfilling it. All right, look at the language of Mary's song. All right, she says in verse forty-seven, excuse me, in verse forty-six, "My soul magnifies the Lord." And then she says in verse forty-seven, "My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior." Her own son is her God, who's saving her. That through His death. Burial and resurrection on the cross, that he is purchasing for her, her salvation and justification before God. As she goes on to say in verse 48 that she's blessed, and to be truly blessed she had to be forgiven. She goes on to say in verse 49 that God is mighty and holy. And what is Jesus doing on the cross but defeating sin and death through his, through his, his crucifixion and his resurrection? She goes on to say after that in verse 50 that his mercy is for those who fear God. And that we know that for those that have placed their hope in the the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And their fear, which is the, the word fear in biblical terms is really just respect or honoring or paying attention to or coming into agreement with, that you are by definition observing that what God has done has secured God's mercy for you from your sin. In verse 52, she goes on to say that he's brought low the mighty. Was it talking about Rome? Right? Unknowingly, she's talking about the stronghold of sin over our lives. The slavery that we are all trapped in because of our sin has been defeated because of what Jesus is doing on the cross. Verse 53, she says that he filled the hungry, those who longed to know God and who he really was. They've been restored in fellowship with God. This isn't about food yet. Yeah, Jesus fed 5,000 men and women and children. This isn't about that miracle. This is about men and women all over the world longing to know their God and by what Christ is doing on the cross, he's purchasing that for them. He's filling that hunger and that thirst. And then lastly in verses 54 and 55, she's reminded of the covenant to Abraham. And knowing what Jesus did on the cross secures God's fulfillment of that covenant promise to Abraham. That through his line, through his offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because they will be forgiven of their sin and they will know God. So guys, here's where I want us to finish today because Mary is certainly someone we can look at and say, wow. Like we can sit back and just be like, she, amazing woman. Right, in the midst of persecution, she chose to, instead of worrying and try to manufacture a, a way to get out of this situation, she chose instead to worship and trust God. And in the midst of that worship and trust, she got to his entire life be around her God as he walked this earth. And yet, at the end, as she, as she stands there before the cross, confused just like all the other disciples were, he was dying for her sins and yours and mine. Like what we're coming to celebrate here next week is Palm Sunday and what, what traditionally happened is Jesus entered into Jerusalem that day hailed as a king and celebrated and by midweek was being arrested after the Passover meal wrongly accused wrongly tried and crucified. And then the following Sunday we celebrate the most outlandish thing <laughs> that has ever occurred in human history. The resurrection of that same man. Because the promise of what God was doing all the way back in Luke chapter 1 as he talked to Mary through Gabriel is I'm finally sending the Messiah, and he may not be who you think he is, but he's come to die in your place for your sin so that you might be forgiven. So that you might not just be forgiven, but you would be adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High God. That you would be known by Him and that you would know Him. This is the the invitation laid out to you. It wasn't just for the disciples was it wasn't just for mary it was for all nations that god would use this woman to be the mother of his own son so that he might die in your place for your sins we're going to take communion here in just a minute and here's here's what i'm going to ask you to do this morning I think there's a real tendency in our own hearts to kind of just come up and take communion because we do it here every Sunday and it just kind of becomes a ritual and a routine for us. But Paul says that before you take communion, right, you need to examine yourself. Right, And Jesus had said that That if you have a quarrel with your brother or or you need to ask for forgiveness from someone that you need to go take care of those things first. So here's what I would ask you to do. As the, the band comes up here and is playing that you would sit for a moment and you would just examine yourself. Is there any unconfessed sin? Is there someone you need to talk to? Is there something you need to repent of? I, I ask that you would sit there and pray and that you would talk to God and you would work through that with Him. You would talk about that sin. And then here's, here's the beautiful part of taking communion and here's why we do it every week. Right? Communion is not meant to be this time that's, that steeps you in guilt over your sin. What it's supposed to do is allow you to confess your sin and then come up and partake in communion, which is a representation that God gave his own flesh and blood for you so that you might be forgiven and instead of being upset with yourself and angry and depressed and sad, you can instead do what Mary did and just sit back and worship God because he is good. Where there was no way, God has made a way, and that's the point of partaking in communion. So you would sit back, reflect. If you're not a follower of Jesus in here this morning, why? Why aren't you? Is there something you know that thousands of years of people having worshipped him, experienced him, knowing him, studying his word, is there something you know that thousands of other people have not known, really in reality millions of people? Sit there and reflect and take communion and let's worship him because he is worthy let's pray heavenly father thank you for this time thank you for mary and the example that she is to us but thank you more importantly for your son or may we not forget that mary is not the point of the story your son is and she was simply a vessel being used by you and God, that is true of us. May we know that, may we believe that, may we trust you, we love you, and we ask this all in Jesus' name, amen.